Wow, that felt like something, didn't it? I was going to talk to you about something differently, but based on that, let me switch this around and say, isn't it nice to be grounded like that sometimes? You know, during the weeks, our brains are spinning, life's busy, got stuff to do. Let me just ask a quick informal poll. Is anyone less busy leading up to Christmas? Anyone? What we find is when people are stressed, when people are busy, when people are overwhelmed, it's when we can't live the lives we want to live. We've been doing this whole thing on purposeful life, and yet when we're stressed, what happens, the purposeful life part starts to drift off, and we're just in survival mode. I got one more Christmas party. I got to buy one more gift. I got to have this one more thing. I, gotta, I just got to do this thing. Can you feel that in your spirit compared to what it just felt like after they sang that song? Leading up to Christmas, we want to create a space that helps ground you takes you back to where you want to be, to the life that means something, and not get caught up in all the busyness and the craziness and the loveliness. And Christmas isn't bad. That's not the problem. Although, I did a, a poll, and they, if you look at the thing, a number of people said, stick to it Christmas. Stick it to it Christmas. Like I said, screw Christmas. <laughs> that might be a Freudian listening or a reading there, right? <laughs> screw Christmas. It wrecks everything. What if we could come through Christmas not stressed out, not burned out, not regretting, not going, ah, crap, my visa bill just came in. What if we could come through Christmas living the lives, being the people we truly want to be? We don't have this figured out. That's why we decided to put a series for us and you all. So make the commitment. In the business of the season, come back, ground yourself. We'll teach you some stuff about how to help, but find that space that's like, ah, this is who I am. This is the life I want to lead. Starts November 20th. Let's stick it to Christmas, shall we? Hey, good morning. My name is Kelty, and this is the part of our service that we call charitable giving, and there's nothing more grounding than giving money to the church. I'll just say that. Um, this is actually the part where we talk a little bit about how this community supports our, our church. It is entirely self-funded, um, as you know, as you've heard myself and my colleagues talk to you each week about this. Um, there are a number of ways that you can that you can give to the church. At this time of year, I think along the lines of what Vince was talking about, there is a lot. Everyone seems to be asking for things. Um, And so at this point, what I would ask of you is if you are signed up for preauthorized giving, if you don't mind just taking a look at that and making sure that your preauthorized giving extends past the end of this year, and also take a look at your, um, the time when your credit card will expire. Because it's classic that in January, we find that a number of those things fall off and then we have to chase you. So now before your season gets really busy, if that's part of your giving plan for us, I would encourage you to take a look um, at your preauthorized giving and just make sure that that's going to extend into the new year. Because um, that's really what takes us through this part of the year for sure, is that preauthorized giving. 
I have something else exciting to talk about today is just outside, you may have seen the table set up. There's a tree there and there's a number of cards. As a community, we have decided again to adopt, I think it's 20, is it 20, Jeff? 18 families who, um, without our help, will have a much quieter, sadder Christmas. There are cards on the tree that you can take one or more of these cards, and in it will include somebody and their gift desires. These are not outrageous gifts that people are looking for. It's not video games and Xboxes. For instance, hang on, glasses. Um, This is Gabby. Gabby's nine years old, and she wants, like, a winter coat and some socks and maybe some arts and crafts supplies. So these aren't frivolous gifts. These are things that a lot of us take for granted that we have. And it would be lovely if you could pick up a couple of these on your way out. If, on the other hand, this is not in terms of timing, you don't have time to do this, you don't have time to shop for one more set of gifts, um, we got you covered on that too. In where you would donate normally to Friends Church, you can find a drop down for the Christmas hampers there is an opportunity to give cash. We have people at the church who will do shopping. There's also gift card needs for these folks. And so if just adding another set of gifts to your list is too overwhelming, that is no problem. We can help you with that too. There's two options to give there. Thank you so much and have a wonderful Sunday. Yeah, thank you. And and thank you everyone who will be involved in that. We hope everyone will, will be able to do something to make Christmas a little easier for these families. It's awesome. Um, yeah, I want to jump in. Uh, when one of our sons was in high school, he hit a rough patch. And I guess every kid has their time and season, right? And for all those parents out there, maybe, maybe you look back at your life and you can identify a particular time and place when things kind of got a little out of control. Maybe you made some poor decisions. Uh, for this one son of ours, he he was on a mission, and whatever it was, it was not my mission for him. All right, let's just put it that way. There was some collisions. It was it was um, it was a deeply turbulent time in our family. Uh, we were butting heads, probably. Oh man, there was a season there where it was like it was happening every felt like every two or three days something, some spark set it off and we got to the point where we were talking less and less trying to avoid the confrontation but I remember one particular morning it, it, I had been asking him to bring I, I, don't worry, I talked to him about this whole thing I said, hey, would you be okay if I told the story, I won't mention her name he says, well, they got one of three choices I'm pretty sure they're going to figure it out <laughs> he says, go for it I was asking him to bring his report card home he was in high school and he says, yeah, I'll bring it home but he didn't and then I'd ask him again and again finally I just said, you'll bring that report card home or your phone will go away. Anyways, one morning, I, I never talked to him the night before, but before he was going to school, I said, where's the report card? And he said, I don't have it. I said, phone. He says, you're not taking my phone. I said, I'm taking your phone. And he said, I'm out. Started throwing on his jacket, throwing on his shoes, started heading for the door. I said, you walk out that door. Don't come back tonight.
door slammed. Kathy came down and she's like, what the hell? into my truck to go to work or my car at that time and my head was all over the place from replaying the conversation to thinking you're a shitty dad why do you do this why do you th-? and then I'm angry at him I'm going no he's got to work and my head is all over. Course staff are coming in. Phone starts ringing and I'm trying to and I kind of okay. And then it just right back into that. You ever been there? Just like I can't stop thinking about this. I'm just and I, I, all of a sudden I snap out of it. I'm going, oh, what time is it? I'm supposed to be. It's like, how long have I been sitting here just lost in this fog? Isn't it crazy how hard life can become when your relationships just start wobbling or thrown into turbulence? Maybe maybe you get in a fight with someone coming, you know, family member coming to church, or maybe it's not a fight. Maybe you just feel something funky is going on. You're not sure what it is, but there there's something there, and it's just occupying your mind. They're not talking to you the way they once did, or they've stopped texting, or they haven't responded. It leaves you distracted. Maybe the emotions start cycling through. You start getting uptight and anxious. And then maybe you get angry and then it's like sad. But regardless, it's just consuming your thought patterns. Life is going on around you. But you're just kind of numb to it all. Your, Your head is in a different place. That's tough starts bleeding into other things. All of a sudden now your, your sleep is being affected. You're having these dreams or you're having these conversations with this person. It's like, oh, you wake up and you're exhausted. Now you're emotional or you're numb, angry. Oh, just, it's brutal. All because in a, a relationship has maybe grown, grown cold or it's grown lethargic or turbulent. You know, Kathy and we had this old washing machine. It was one of those upright ones. I don't know if you remember one of those, but this one we got when we were married. We had it for a bunch of years, but she would throw in a load of towels. And, and you know, every now and then we would be somewhere in the house and that thing would hit spin cycle. And those towels ended up being on, all on one side of that washer. And, it, and all of a sudden we hear this, dunk, dunk, and it wouldn't matter where we were in the house. We're like, ah, get to the... And that thing would start spinning off balance. And it would just like... Bah, 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 bah. 
then you felt like the house was going to come loose, you know? We'd be running for the laundry room, trying to hit that thing, turn the thing off. and We'd reach in there and pull the towels around, just try to balance it out a bit. Man, when that thing started spinning, it was like fear came over us. Like, oh my God, that thing's going to fly apart and hurt someone, you know? Every now and then, when a relationship gets a speed wobble, it was a lot like that washing machine. You start hearing just those early signs. And it was like, is that what I, is that what I think it, it is? And you don't know. If it is, you better start running. Because <laughs> by the time you get there, things could really go off. It's amazing how many times a relationship can just get out of out of kilter and we can ignore those early thuds but then they start growing and growing until the point where man damage is being done it's what our life can feel like it's like man you get into those moments And just the thought of experiencing a meaningful life can seem so out of reach. On the flip side, though, you get into that place where your relationships are well-oiled, where they're rolling, where you feel like, man, you're hearing them. They're hearing you. You're having fun together. You're seeing each other and the best of each other and you're cheering your kids on or your, your parents or maybe that person at work and work relationships are just flow. Oh yeah, and you just, you come to work and you're excited to see if, it's amazing how little energy life takes when you're in that groove. When you and your partner are on the same wavelength, how little time gets spent on petty stuff. It's just easy. Oh. It's like saying, it's like that old saying, when you're winning, nothing hurts. Hey, when everything is rolling, man, you can take the little thing that goes sideways, you're like, no problem. Did you remember the milk? Oh, I forgot. No problem. We got it. We'll figure it out. Hey, I'll go. It's all right. No, no, I'll go. No, I'll go. When you're winning, nothing hurts. You can even take some pretty big punches. Life deals out some bad things. And you go, oh, hey, we're here. You okay? I'm okay. All right, let's go. When it goes the other way, the littlest paper cut feels like an absolute kick to the groin. Isn't it true? This is why one of the big rocks that I hold in my life that I need to somehow make sure is prioritized are these primary relationships that I spend so much time with. I got to keep them in the jar. I got to keep focused on them. When I, when I keep them in the jar, when I'm, when I'm paying attention to them in the right ways, life rolls. But man, every now and then, and I don't know why it is, I take that rock out and I start throwing in other stuff that seems just a little more important in the moment. 
Here's the most painful admission I can make today. The people that I love the most often, often are the ones that I'm at risk of neglecting the most. Why would that be? I I love them. I love Kathy with my whole heart, but it's amazing how often I can end up saying yes to so many other things that all of a sudden at the end of the week, I look at how much time we've spent together and I can feel the minor thud sitting there. We can mean well and we can even make a great effort on a give, any given occasion. But without some kind of repeating mechanism that keeps forcing that thing into that jar, it says, no, 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 this week again, here's what we're going to go do. Without these well-intentioned efforts, Without the ritual, these well-intentioned efforts often end up too far and few between. This, my friends, I think is the great gateway to neglect. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. It's the danger of relational neglect and how we avoid it. Let me ask you something. How much relational neglect have your relationships experienced over the last while? Pick one. Pick any one of them. Just scan through them. You think about, think about your immediate people in your life. It might, if, if you're in a partner relationship, maybe just think about your partner for a second. Think about, if you have kids, think about your kids. How much relational neglect have your relationship experienced in the last little while? Th- th- think about maybe work relationships, people that you're working around. Maybe it's a best friend or a friend circle. Maybe it's a parent or a sibling. Just think through them. Is there one face or name that all of a sudden surfaces you're going, oh no. If you're really honest, maybe you could say, I I think I hear a thudding in the background. Is that How often does an argument or a difference of opinion linger to a point where it becomes problematic, feels problematic? You ever feel a little awkward because it's been so long since you really reached out to someone you love? Are there times when you just feel like there's, you're on a different page with someone that really matters to you, but you're not sure what to do about it? Maybe there's a growing lack of trust. There's suspicions. These are all signs of relational neglect. Maybe just more conflict. You know, okay. Someone's saying, hey, that's life. That's normal. That's fine. That would be fine if we were just anyone, anyone that's just grown up with that as the pattern. But I'll tell you something right now, for every one of you sitting in a seat here at Friends Church, deliberately here to be a part of this thing that we're talking about, we are a part of a spiritual tradition that values above all our ability to love one another, to make these things work well. That's what this tradition is about. Jesus said, look it, if you get one thing right, get loving right. 
Get that right. There's a lot of stuff you can fumble around fine. Get loving right. He said, actually, the world will know that you were tied into this tradition, into this thing that I'm about, that I'm promoting, based on their ability to see your love for one another. So what I'm talking about today and this relational neglect, for some would say, yeah, well, this is of real importance, I think, for anyone that's serious about this particular brand of spiritual journey. So I, this morning, I want to do something. I want to brainstorm with us. I'm asking the question, how do we guard against relational neglect? Because I'll, I'll be the first one to admit right now, I hear the thudding in a few areas, a few relationships. This has been a, an incredibly painful process this week, writing this thing. Because I'm going, ah, oh, frick. I need this. <laughs> how do we guard against saying yes to everything else before saying yes to the people we love the most? Now, I want to brainstorm because there's a lot of different ways. I'm going to talk about some different rituals this morning that I think it might be containers, areas where where you could grab an idea and you could insert it perhaps in that relationship where there might be a problem. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to throw out just a number of different ones. And maybe at the end of this you go, okay, I got an idea. I got an idea for this one relationship. A number of years ago, one of our sons was uh, another different son was going through a very difficult time while he was uh, away from home. He was traveling a lot. He was young. He was 16. He was playing sports, and uh, he got hurt. He got hurt real bad, and so he's in the middle of this big long trip. He's far from home, and uh, he can't. He can't compete, he can't play, and he's down. I remember one night we were texting back and forth. I could tell how dark life was for him in that moment, and I was trying my best to encourage him. You know, 16 years old, they don't really show a lot of affection typically, but at the end of this one text conversation, he said something that he normally didn't say. He said, Dad, I love you. And that might be normal for some relationships, uh, for many, but it wasn't in this particular one. It shocked me. Actually, it, it felt so good. I was like, oh, oh. I texted him back as quick as I could. I said, buddy, I love you more than you'll ever know. But something happened in that, that night, and I can look back to that one time, because every time from then on we had a conversation, he said, Dad, I love you. I said, I love you more than you know, pal. He got home, and I wondered, would this be something that might continue? He would be leaving. He'd say, hey, Mom, I love you. Kathy yeah, said, oh, I love you. He says, I'll see you later. Everyone was watching. Everyone in the house it was kind of one of those things where it was like, whoa, who said that? And then something happened. My other sons started saying, hey, Dad, I love you. I said, I love you, man. 
It would sound weird. Maybe you'd think, oh, a pastor, don't you say that? No, it didn't happen that way. We weren't going to force our kids. You tell me you love me. You know, it wasn't like that. It's just wonderful. When, and then all of a sudden, we heard them saying it to each other. They'd be on the phone with each other with brothers. I love you, man. would be like, love that. What was that? It's a relational ritual that had a way, no matter how much we may have been arguing 15 minutes prior to that, no matter how much everything was going on, a signing off would just soften and warm and remind, you matter to me. No, you matter to me. Those verbal little rituals can mean a lot, can be very valuable if you use them carefully and intentionally. I want to talk about morning and bedtime rituals. How many remember having some kind of bedtime, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, a bedtime ritual with maybe your mom or your dad when you'd go to bed at night? All right, let's go, it's time to go to bed, you go up, maybe they read you a story, maybe they sing you a little song, lullaby, maybe when you're really young. My sister had this painful, long bedtime. I remember she was the youngest in our family. She had to have all her dolls in her bed. And it was like, oh, my God. My mom's like, find her doll. She's not going to go to sleep. I'm like, are you kidding me? But they know now, science says that actually the morning and the evening, the bedtime rituals can have an incredible impact on soothing someone. If you're prone to worry or fear, if you're prone to nightmares, Often, those, the last conversation that you have, if done in the right way, can calm and soothe. It can normal, regulate the system. It can be a powerful opportunity to be able to connect with a person you love. Now, if you happen to be living in the same place, maybe it's just over the phone. I remember one woman, part of our community, she talked about how her and her husband, she was an early, early bird, he was a night owl they would never go to bed at the same time. So she would go to bed early, he would come in later. So she'd go to bed without anyone there. And then he would wake up in the morning, she'd already be out. Created a lot of problems. Just, just. So anyways, they came up with this ritual where he would come in and tuck her in at night. And they'd have just a little moment where they could sit beside each other and just talk. He'd give her a kiss, good night, give her a big hug, tuck her in and she said, you can't know how much that changed our relationship. Again, depending on your relationship, and this isn't just for intimate relationships, this could be a, a best friend, this could be a dad, a mom, a sibling, you have a little phone conversation in the evening, sign off. I talked with another um, family, they, they made breakfast, one of their must be at. And it worked for a window in their lives where everyone came together. And it wasn't long. They said often it was about the length of about 20 minutes. But everyone was down. She'd say she'd make sure coffee was on and there was a little bit of food there. They came in. She said TV would never be on. It was just an opportunity to just talk about our day. What's going on tonight? What are you guys up to? Couples do this, a morning coffee ritual. One makes the coffee and they just sit and look at each other and say, hey, how are you? Just an idea. It's a morning ritual.
talk about mealtime rituals. For some families, their biggest relational ritual is having a dinner meal together. It's for some families. It's getting harder these days. TV, screen times, there's just a million more distractions than ever. The idea of everyone coming together over a meal seems to be something that is becoming extinct in many households. I mentioned at the beginning of this series that when I started dating Kathy, she introduced me to her family's ritual of a Sunday dinner every Sunday. And no matter where you were in the city, you were coming to her parents' place, Bill and Henrietta's, and you were sitting down, we'd go down to their little basement, their home and out in Falcon Ridge, and her mom would put out this spread and we'd sit, no phones, no distractions, no TV, and we would talk. And I have to admit, coming from family that didn't do that kind of thing. This was claustrophobic at first. I was like, it's Sunday again. I, I'm like, Kath, I don't think we can do this. She'd say, we got to do it. Every now and then I'd, I'd phone up mom. I'd say, mom, I don't think I can be there. This is Kathy's mom. I don't think I can be there. She says, oh, are, are you not eating lunch today? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, but I, I, I wanted to get a bunch. She says, tell you what, just show up for lunch. Can you give us an hour? So okay, give you an hour. You know, it's only in hindsight I realize how much happened over that meal, and how how tight the bonds of this family became. We had no idea the storms that would rage over the next number of years in that family. That we'd say goodbye to both her parents. We'd deal with sickness, her brother's death. That time glued us together, held us in the deepest storms. I, I, now, I used to kind of mock the whole thing and make all these jokes and Kathy would just put up with it. Now I, I go, that family dinner had power. That was a ritual. And that, every now and then it went away. And every now and then I can hear the knocking of some of the relationships we have with the extended family. I'm going, I know what we need. Even if it's not once a week, if it's once a month, okay. Or it's, it's, it's once a quarter, we gotta keep coming together. You see, that's the thing about rituals, is it forces you to come together. It's in, a, in attachment theory, it's the anchor. On one end you have the anxious and the avoidance, or sorry, anxious waves. They're the ones that are always needing external soothing. They're, oh, they can't get enough of you. And they're, they're the claustrophobic types. They're, oh, are you upset with me? And, oh. and every time something's going wrong, they're running. They need external soothing. They're on the one side. On the other side, it's the islands, the avoidance. They're like, they can soothe themselves. And they're like, whenever there's problems, they're like, hey, I'm out. And they, they can just be alone. They, can, they, they thrive in the isolation. The anchor in the middle says, no, 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 we need some of both. We need each other. Come over here. Come over here, anxious. Come here. Come here. Sit down. Sit around the table. Island, quit avoiding. No, you're showing up. You're the mums of beer. The anchor is the mums of beer and say, no, no, you got an hour. You're coming. I'm only asking for an hour. But we're sitting around the table and the ritual forces everyone together. It's funny, these rituals... They force connection that you don't even know you need. And they feed you in ways you don't even know they're feeding you. Let's move on. Date night rituals. 
I know this sounds like it's mostly targeting romantic, but this applies to every relationship. I I was watching, uh, just scrolling through Facebook last night, and I saw a dad-daughter date that they went on. This applies to every relationship you got. But for for years, at least in my circles, they talked about this importance of having a, a date night ritual. I'll tell you, Kathy and I are horrendously bad at that. We just never set out a night that said, come hell or high water, you and I, we're together. No, we're together a lot, but for the sake of just her and I together. But I've watched couples do this. I've watched people do this, where it's just a ritual. They're coming together. I said, no, a men's group. They met every Friday morning, come hell or high water, they're together does something. It's a ritualized gathering. It says, no, we are coming together. The world can stop. We're here. Nothing else matters. Though we've been poor at doing a once a week kind of thing or once every two weeks or whatever that is, we, Kathy and I, from the beginning, we've always done like a three, every three month getaway. It's like over two or three days. We get out of town. Her favorite place is the mountains. I get her out there and she just, it just does something for her. So we, we get, sometimes it's even just for a night. But it's amazing how when that thing gets on the clock, we can find ourselves, man, that washing machine is banging. We get out. We have time to go for a hike. We go and sit in our favorite sushi spot. And we sit and watch a movie, sometimes saying very little, and it's funny. Just all of a sudden, things start changing. The conversations start shifting. All of a sudden, things just start, oh, feeling so good. I'm... All of these kinds of things, if woven into some kind of schedule, can help stop the carnage. It can turn things around. It can get things healthy again. You think about siblings, what Christmas can do. Some of us dread it. We're going, oh, here we go again. If used properly, that gathering pot around Christmas can be a powerful stabilizer. It can stop something from spinning out of balance and all of a sudden, oh, 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 here we go. Oh, we're back at the table again. Something that got said last June and now no one's been talking since then. All of a sudden, something gets figured out. A little side conversation in the midst of the Christmas ritual. Just before the family dinner starts. Hey, how are you? It's amazing how these kinds, annual rituals, birthday rituals. Oh, let, me just, let me talk about re- workplace rituals. Because some people are working in jobs that they are hating. And it's not necessarily the work. It's the people that it's, it's a problem. Once upon a time, smoke breaks at workplace were pretty common. People would just go, oh, time out. And the addiction was calling. I'm heading out. People say, are you going out? I'm coming too. I'm coming with you. And they'd sit on the concourse. And while they're having a smoke, they'd be chatting. Mixing it up, mingling. I watched it in high school. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life, to be honest. But I, I, I always envied all the smokers in high school. Because they would come back from the smoke, and now they smell, but it doesn't matter. I would see them laughing. 
I could tell they, they were exchanging stories, and it was like they had this little community. That's what the water cooler did in many work environments. It's what the lunchroom did. The pandemic flattened that. Many people working remotely, or they show up at the office, no one else is there. And I'm telling you, people begin to wonder why that washing machine is thudding so hard. There's a reason. Maybe you right now need to consider some kind of ritual. Back in the day, they would do happy hours, right? They'd say, hey, every Thursday, the team, we're going to go and meet at the pub down the street, and we're just going to talk about anything non-work related. We're going to talk about what we're doing this weekend. All of these little rituals played a very strategic role in letting love in, letting relational warmth take over, and avoiding the relational neglect. Now again, as I'm talking about these things, is there anything that's firing for you? Just say a little bit more about celebration rituals and I'm out. Anniversaries, birthdays, success and achievements, so much of that got flattened. There's people that graduated, never got a proper graduation. Anniversaries got postponed, birthdays. I'm telling you, we need to get back to some of these ritualized moments that force us together. And if done right, it's crazy what they do in lubricating a relationship. Think about the ways that you have spent time intentionally building some of these things. A success, it's amazing right now how freaking busy the world becomes. You can achieve something. Your kid can achieve something. And you look at them and you're going, oh, that's neat. Anyways, but setting up even a celebration ritual that says, you know what, every time we see some kind of milestone reached. And I, I, again, it's all relative to the story and the person. Setting up saying, no, no, we're going to party. A favorite meal. A moment in the night where we just stop and bring it to attention. A Facebook post. Any form or way of ritual where you get to acknowledge something between you and another person. And hopefully something good. Let me ask you something. What ritual could you establish to address any neglect that you're seeing in a relationship? I, I'm going to give you one assignment this week. Pick one relationship that you feel might be wobbling right now. And establishing it is weird. It doesn't work like this. Hey, you and I, from now on, we're going to... It doesn't work that way. What it often looks like is you saying, hey... I would love to get together with you. And you say nothing about the fact that you're going to do it again. And you get together with them. Or you celebrate them. Or you say, hey, folks, we're coming together around this. And we're going to do it. When can we do that? And you work at it, work at it, work at it until you finally get one on the calendar and you do it. And if it's done right, then you say, I think we need more of this. Would you guys be okay if whatever time, three months from now, we pull the gang together again? Would you be okay? This was so fun. This meant so much to me tonight. Would you mind if I invited you to do this again next Friday night? 
Like it's going to be all specific to your application, your own story. But that's often how it starts. Would you find one relationship that you will inject some kind of intentional ritual into, at least the start? Make a decision. Relational neglect ain't coming to this one. I'm taking care of this one. Will you do that? This wraps up our relationship series, or sorry, our ritual series. We've been talking about all kinds of different ways that you can you wire in practices, rituals into your life so that the meaningful life, the spiritual life, the intentional life that is more than just this narcissistic, oh, give me more. No, but the sense of significance in your short time on this planet is truly that. The things that will get us to that picture, the things that we need to do, those wanting it and getting it are two different things. We've challenged you to consider some different rituals over this last little while, and I tell you, this has been work for me because I've realized how I've let off the gas on some of these rituals that I'm needing so bad. I don't know about you. I've got some homework. But I'm telling you, as I'm doing the homework, I can already feel it spinning in the right direction. I hope that's been your story too. If you've missed parts of the series, I encourage you to go back and listen. Don't miss this opportunity. As we start getting close to the beginning of this next year, these rituals will take everything that you hope to achieve this next year and make them possible. I guarantee you. All right, I'm done. I, I pray, I pray that you will stave off some relational neglect. You got an opportunity here, Golden. I've given you the keys. All right, and you can thank me later. I don't care how you want to thank me. Let's get out there. And let's let the world see that we're, tired. we're truly tied into something. I want to come to work energized, not distracted. I want to come home excited because these people in my life, things are working. I think you do too. That's my prayer for you this week. Right on. Hey, look, there's Christmas trees out there. A Christmas tree with lots of cards on it. Jump on that if you can. And uh, thanks for showing up today. Thanks for putting in the work. I hope, I hope this next week yields some good things for you in your life.